you find a hostess who's defensive about her dicky you're in for a good evening <laughs> they were just popped up calling all the women were like oh man you're sexy so had you spoken cockney you would not have gone down this path that is where we got unbuttoning the bottom button in your suit people um, actually put stuff down there yeah. that doesn't seem like a safe place to put things and guess who saw them and liked them Here we are, everyone. Here we are, ladies and gentlemen. Here we are, team. We're ready for another episode of Smart Drivel. I'm your co-host, Kurt Schneider, along here with... Hey, Kurt. It's John Ellenthal. Are we a team or are we a family? We're both. Why? What's the difference? Uh, I think family members are permanent and team members come and go. But when you're a team, especially like when you're a youth... You treat your teammates like family. That's two youths. Well, I think it feels like that. But the truth is, do you get together with your former Dartmouth College football teammates on the major holidays at your home <laughs> near a tree, for example? Some of them I do. How many people are on your team? That Freshman you... year, 60 now, probably 40. And did you feel like they were all family? All right. Well, I just want to point out that there is a difference between a team and a family and since we both try to choose our words carefully, usually after the fact, I wanted to bring up that issue. Why are you scratching that itch? Did you, I say something about family or team? You said, hello, team. Oh, I didn't realize it. I don't know what comes out of my mouth. Well, occasionally listen to the podcast and you'll get a sense of what comes out of your mouth, Kurt. You so, may be alarmed, by the way. Have you ever been called a bow Brummel in your life? Not to my recollection, because I don't think I've ever heard that phrase before. What's a bro bemel? Is that a family member? Bo Brummel is a person and he was a dandy in probably 17th century England, maybe 18th century. This guy took fashion to the highest level. He would literally have a team around him that would help him get dressed every day four or five different times. Was he on the one of the Real Housewives shows? Yeah. Is that why? <laughs> no. Because they go everywhere with an entire team that dresses them and does their makeup. He was the first person that was a non-aristocrat who really took fashion to the highest level, especially ties, cravats, and things like this. And in fact, the royal family and everyone else took the lead from him, Bo Brummel. So now you know Bo Brummel. I think there was even a musical about Bo Brummel once. Anyway. I get that he set the standard for the court and the royal family, but what... You know, for people. People worked up from everyone. Okay, but what was it about him other than the fact that he had four or five people or he got he had help getting dressed four or five he, times he a day? Took the, he was the first person who was more worried about what he wore than anything else. He also was the first person to talk about fashion trends and fashion as high fashion. So he was the first fashionista. I feel bad for him that he missed out on Instagram or TikTok because those seem like the perfect medium for yeah, him. For sure. Media for him. Yeah. And you know what? He sort of did it in his day when he went to all these different parties and cocktail parties and, and wore different outfits. Back then, I think you wore something like three or four different outfits a day. But let me ask you this. Why are you telling me this? 
because today okay. we're going to talk about fashion ah. and where we got hot the, couture. But we're going to not talk about fashion like, oh, isn't this nice? There's a Givenchy dress. That's a shout out to someone I know. But or was a shout out to Givenchy. <laughs> and but we're going to talk about where some of these trends, whence they came. Because we like to do that at Smart Triple. Oh, we yes. Like we unpack. like to dig into the origins of some pretty trippy things. So we go with a spool and we go down until we get to the spool. I don't know if anyone who knows the two of us would have ever thought that we would do an episode that pertained to fashion. I don't know. I, I You know, when I was in advertising, I might have told this story in the late 80s, early 90s. I wore a fedora. I wore braces. I wore pinstripe suits. I had a long herringbone tweed overcoat. So, and a leather briefcase. Said another way, you were quite affected at that point. I, for sure. But I was enjoying it. Well, I'm glad you were enjoying it. But when you look back on those photos today, do you go, well, I looked cool? Or yeah. do you go, what an asshole? No, no, no. Because I was conjuring up the 40s. I wasn't conjuring up the time I was in. So it was actually better. All right. So you were attempting to time travel through what you wore, which I'm sure is... Something look. Do you ever get dressed up in those dresses they wore during the Charleston when they would dance the Charleston? With the fringe? And what are those called? Charleston dresses. Okay, sure. The fringe is what made it cool because the fringe was on top. You made it think like you could that's all, right. all it was. I'm gonna kick this off, Kurt. Okay. And so we're gonna talk about the strange origins of a bunch of clothing items. Okay, sure. That are common today or have been common recently. Or were. Or were. And I think the quintessential smart drivel clothing item has to be the dicky, right? For sure. In fact, the dicky has probably come up on several podcasts. It has. Despite the fact that neither one of us, well, I'll speak for myself, I have not put on a dicky since my parents probably forced me to when I was, you know, six, seven, eight years old. It's very funny because I was at a dinner party last night. Someone was wearing a dicky. The hostess was wearing a turtleneck sweater that was kind of like a vest cut out and she said no this is not a dicky so she was a little defensive yes. about her dicky yeah so whenever you find a hostess who's defensive about her dicky you're in for a good evening <laughs> it won't surprise you that the dicky originally served richard the lionheart who is richard the lionheart he's the one who ripped the lion's heart out and and bit it no, he was the king of England that went off on the Crusades. And in fact, that's what Robin Hood was. Okay, so when you say Richard the Lionheart, does that relate to Dickie in some way? Because I was about to tell a Dickie story. Yes. So you think Richard is Dick, yes. Dickie. Yes. And do you think he invented the Dickie? Yes. So you were guessing what I was going to yes. say? Okay, you're wrong. Oh. I was trying to figure out why you were yelling Richard the Lionheart, and you were guessing the origin of yes. the Dickie. And something to do with the Crusades and what they wore. I'll give you this. You got the British part right, but there was not royalty involved. In fact, it's the other end of the economic and power spectrum. Closer to that end. So it's the 1850s in Britain. Tough, tough. And office workers were required to wear business suits. Yet they didn't make that much money. Yeah. So they actually couldn't afford a week's worth of laundered shirts. Yeah. So what they did was they had a detachable top, the collar and that piece. Yeah. And they could remove that every day and wash that. But the rest of it just hung there. And they probably didn't have a full shirt underneath their business suit jacket. So it was a way to save money. 
I'm needing a laundered shirt every day. And then at some point, it moved beyond its utilitarian roots and became a bit of a fashion item. And not to freak you out, but there are some signs that the dicky might be returning to popularity, which makes sense because thin ties, wide ties, everything seems to be a circle. In any event, that is where the dicky comes from. Do you own a dicky, Kurt? Yeah. When was the last time you owned a dicky? Never. You never wore a dicky? Nope. You know, there is some back to the utilitarian aspects. There are people who wear dickies today, not because they can't afford you know, laundry service, but it, when you have a dicky turtleneck, it keeps your neck warm. Okay. I never wore them because even back then, you I knew. Saw, yeah. This is a man who wore a fedora and a pinstripe suit and a fake handlebar mustache walking to work through New York City. How about did mustache you, wax? I did work with someone. We actually had a mustache contest one couple of months at work. And this gentleman put us all to shame. And he actually turned his mustache into a old-fashioned handlebar mustache. And it was so spectacular that I went out and bought like a six-foot-high trophy for him as the winner of our mustache contest. I wish that I could do that. But his name is Zach Smith. Okay. In case he's listening, way to grow a mustache, Zach. So thank you for telling me about the Dickie. How to get the name of the Dickie. Well, it got the name the Dicky because of Richard the Lion. There you go. No, he did not. He did. That's, he did it not. It all comes back to Richard the Lion. I don't believe he was a prominent figure in 1850s Britain. No, but people loved him and worshipped him. So, yes. All right. Well, guess what? I bet you Bo Brummel probably was a person who thought about the Dicky. I'm going to tell you something, and let's be in the, around the same time, which is Victorian England, right? Queen Victoria? The Queen. Yeah. She and Prince Albert. Checkmate. Oh, Prince Albert in a can. They 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 had nine children. Their oldest son, an oldest child, oldest son was called Albert. Right. Or Bertie for short. B-E-R-T-I. Oh, he was the one that, that abdicated the throne. No. He was King Edward the Seventh. Didn't they call him Bertie too? So maybe he wasn't when he abdicated the throne. What year are we in? Really? Early nineteen hundreds? Well, that's when he was king. Yeah, Bertie abdicated the throne, went to France yeah, but this with that woman. Not this guy, but maybe his son. Well, it's possible. They do pass down names a lot. They could probably pass down nicknames, Edward too. Edward that abdicated, okay? And he, oh, actually, he was King Edward VII. So, anyway, Bertie wanted to be involved in politics. His mother said, I don't like you that much. And by the way, you're not good in politics. How does she know he was not good in politics? She was her son. You know how mothers are with sons. So she said, go do something else. So he got very involved in fashion and people would follow him and he would, and apparently at one point he was so mad at one of his mistresses because she wore the same dress twice in once week. She wouldn't, he wouldn't speak. Oh, that's bougie. That's so bougie. Right. And then he would have our issues. But where was Coco Chanel at this time? Not there yet. As he got older. Like a lot of aristocracy, it was actually a sign of everybody gets older, Kurt, not just aristocracy. He got heavier and fatter Uh, and to the point where he could not button the bottom button of his suit coat or his blazer. And therefore, in order to fit around his rotund belly, he would unbutton the final button. All of his men in waiting then did the same thing. Absolutely. And it became fashion, which is to this day... 
why the first thing you do with your kids when they wear a suit, you say, unbutton the bottom button. You never button the bottom button of a vest or a suit coat. Isn't it amazing? Because once in a while, you'll see someone who has buttoned both, and it just looks so it's wrong. Off. It's wrong. Thank yeah. God, because of Birdie. Now, thank you, Birdie. Bye-bye, Birdie. I was just going to say bye-bye, Birdie, because when Birdie abdicated, I wonder if that's where bye-bye, Birdie comes from. Of course. From. I don't know if that's true. Conrad Bird is, and it's basically that musical was about Elvis, basically. Okay. So... There's another explanation for why the bottom button is not buttoned. Yes. And that is when you're riding on a horse. I'm feeling an equestrian thing coming. Oh, you said a horse, yeah. When you're riding on a horse. Did Richard Lionheart ride on a horse? Yes, he did. To the, and to did the he crusades. button his bottom button? It was actually steel, but it was a dicky. I like that little steel mesh thing they used to wear in the Crusades. That's a cool look. Chainmail. Chainmail. That was their undershirt. It was chainmail. You'd wear something that was like a burlap sack. I, I actually have a dicky of just chainmail. A lot of people did. Yeah, and I have the hood too. Yeah, and that's an S and M thing. And you were probably at a YMCA in the seventies in New York City, but that's another story. I um, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but it's not my personal style. Okay. But I just want to put that out there for our listeners and for my wife. So that is where we got unbuttoning the bottom button in your suit. Thank you. Etymologically speaking. Edamame. I don't mind. That's good protein. Yes. Edamame is good, particularly like salted. There was a place in New York City that still it's called Jeju and it's Korean ramen, not Japanese ramen. And they serve an edamame that is covered in this chili sauce. Must be great. It's, and your fingers are all black and red when you're done. Spectacular. It doesn't even matter that there's edamame inside. You just want to lick the peapot. The edamame pot. So we're talking about trends in fashion. I know. And I'm going to say, I said etymologically speaking, and then you interrupted me with oh. your edamame okay, thing. So it was me that went off topic? Yes. That? So you're trying to basically shame me for going off topic when all I got out of my sentence was etymologically, edamame? to which you responded again, edamame, because this is like hardwired in you, apparently. One more time for the orchestra. Etymologically speaking, the word dicky, because I never answered your question about where the term dicky came from. Let me guess, Charles Dickens. Well, I give you credit for the fact that you have Richard of Lionheart, Richard Dickey, and Charles Dickens. So you're coming at this a little too logically, right. though. That's what I do. So had you spoken Cockney, you would not have gone down this path, because the word dicky is from Cockney rhyming slang wherein dicky dirt denotes a shirt. So dicky dirt is shirt in Cockney. So Cockney does that, and they do it to this day. They still do that. It's a rhyming slang that they do for everything. And to this day, the Cockneys of East London still do that. It's very interesting. Did you see the movie Educating Rita? Maybe. It was great. It was in the 80s. It was Michael Caine, and I forgot Rita, the actress who played Rita's name. She wasn't a big name. And it was sort of a modern-day Pygmalion. And she spoke Cockney. And it's just a great, fun movie. Okay. And they never even discussed the rain in Spain. And how it falls on the plane? Mainly on the plane. Yeah. Okay. I believe you just gave me the bottom okay. button. I am going to give you something you probably have done and worn. And that is the popped up collar on a polo shirt. Never did it. There's no way that you grew up 
You were in high school in the 1980s when all that. Who wrote the book about preppy handbook? Who wrote that? Right. Um, But that was that was when it all got codified. And in fact, a lot of my friends did it. Oh yeah. So ridiculous. To this day, when I see Billy Thea, I can remember him wearing that popped up collar. I love when you say you never mention anybody's names on. And they should be shamed. Right, Billy Thea for wearing that collar should have been shamed. So tell me where the popped up collar came from. It was not Victorian England. By the way, the people who wore that. They were kind of dickies. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to challenge your assertion that you never popped up your collar, even though I can prove it and I wasn't there. I just have a feeling, and I'm trusting my gut, Kurt. I wouldn't go there. You want to guess where this came from? I believe it came from the Chevaliers of France. When these guys were riding their horses, that's where Chevalier comes from. It actually means horse rider. And in, guys- How do you say it in Cockney? These guys would ride, but the problem is sometimes their armor got so rusted that they had to put something underneath to not get their skin rusted. And so they had a popped up collar. And when they took off their their armor, they were in this popped up collar. And all the women were like, oh, man, you're sexy, Chevalier. Oh, my God. The popped up collar was indeed invented by a Frenchman. Really? By the name of Jacques Cousteau. No, René Lacoste. Ah, uh, of course. So, in 1929, he designed the tennis shirt. Yes. Which people, where you're from, call the polo shirt. Yes. And most tennis players back then would wear these stiff shirts with ties. Yeah. And that wasn't oh, so yes. comfortable. Yeah. So, Lacoste design involved this comfortable cotton with an unstarched collar, much more comfortable, that players could just pop up. And it would protect the backs of their necks from the, sun? from the sun. So once again, there's not a fashion basis for it, even though it later became a fashion symbol, mostly a symbol of something you didn't want to be. But it became a symbol, but it originated with genuine, practical, utilitarian value, which kind of makes sense. Where the alligator come from? Lacoste in French means alligator. Oh, it does not. But it would be good if it did. Yeah, but it does not. And isn't it true that it's actually a crocodile on there? Didn't we hear about that at some point? I may or may not. I'm not saying I'm proud of this. I may or may not have had a little trend thing going in college that I may or may not have bitten off the alligator or crocodile off someone's shirt if they were smart enough to come into the basement of my fraternity wearing such shirt. Well, the truth is, if they did that, they would have immediately stuck to the floor. So they would have been a sitting duck. They couldn't move their feet. Please tell me when you bit off the alligator that you did not take skin off as well. I might have once or twice, but I think that was during a polo shirt, not a alligator shirt. Did you bite the polo guy off too? Yes. Are there any kind of little badging on shirts that you have not bitten off? The fleece from Brooks Brothers. Does it not have some sort of emblem? It does. It's the fleece. Okay, but you like that particular. It's the golden fleece. It's a bowl with like a harp in front of it. I don't shop at Brooks Brothers. I'm not as conservative as you are. So I'm going to tell you about high heels. The bane of every woman's existence to this day. In fact, they're dangerous because as... The decades go by, you lose ankle flexion. And one of the unfortunate things that happen to old women, older women is they lose their balance and fall because they don't have the same ankle no, flexibility no, are, from years. They're implements of, of torture, right? They Just really are. Men. So where it came from is really back to horseback once again. 
men, and this was like ancient Italy or France, and they're wearing these things in to stay in the saddle, the, to keep your foot in, the, right. in the spur. That's for grippiness. It was for grippiness. So you could stay in the saddle and your feet would stay in the, in the stirrups better. And guess who saw them and liked them? Machiavelli. No, the Sun King, King Louis XIV, who was not of high-rise, altitudinal stature, meaning he was a little short. And How short thought, was he? He was so short, he owed 50 bucks. Because you might remember, we discussed Napoleon. Who was not really short. Who was short by modern standards, but was actually not short by current standards back King, when he lived. The Sun King was short. Like sub five feet? It was probably five one. Yeah, five. Yeah, that's a And bummer. so he would wear these high heels and he would wear them because they were fashion. In fact, he would dye the heels red because red was very expensive dye back then. Right. To prove that not only was he haute couture in fashion, but he was a rich guy because he was a sun king. And then somehow, like I talked about with Bertie, the court saw this, and they all started wearing that, including the women. And then it was seen that they liked the way it shaped the woman's calf, and right. it became a woman's fashion item, for, and it was no longer used as the practicality of riding the horses, but instead for fashion. So what kind of hose did he wear with his high heels? He was a sun king. He probably could wear whatever the hell he wanted to, all in Versailles. How about this? I'm going to give you another one. This weekend, I went for a walk in the woods. And I put on my old jeans. Henry David Thoreau. And I put on my old jeans that are a little too long, so I cuffed them up. And then I made me realize, why do people cuff? And if you look at any millennial now, they are cuffing like crazy. Right. Like everything else, the cuffing of the jeans was done for practical purpose, not for fashion. Of course it was. So when our main man, Levi, Levi. made jeans... Yes. It was before the advent of pre-shrunk. Remember, That's that didn't right. happen until like the 90s right. or 1990s. It's got to be a challenge. It's got to be a challenge when your pants change size every time you put them on. So the issue is you had to buy them long back then and wait for them to shrink. Otherwise, they would be too small for you. So you bought them long and they shrunk up. And when you first bought them, you would roll them up before they shrunk. And what people would use is not only rolling them up, but the first people that wore cuffed Levi's, that was a good place to put your chewing tobacco, put some gold nuggets you People found. actually put stuff down there? Yeah. That doesn't seem like a safe place to put things. Why not? You're not going to get... Because they're going to fall out. Not if it's a decent cuff. Like up to your knees, maybe. By the way, Bertie was also responsible for the line in the middle of your pants, you know, that sort of... Crease. crease. Yeah. Yeah. Why? What did he do? Well, he went to Greece and said, this would be nice to have a crease. Maybe he went to Crete. In Greece, and he synthesized that into a crease. Or he was Croatian, the Croats, who invented the cravat. They're not called the Croats? All right, the Croats invented the cravat. The Croats? All right, so I'm going to stick with the bottom hem of pants. Okay, good. So some people cuff, and other people flare them out in bell-bottom form. I hate bell-bottoms. Why? Sunny one, and he got shared. I hate bell bottoms. David Cassidy one. I hate bell I bottoms. Like I think it's a terrible look. You like the look? No, but my brother and I had same pants. They were blue on one side, red on the other, and oh, the other leg was red on front and blue on the back. And we they were, were you bell the bottoms. And we had purple suede clodhopper shoes. We were rocking the seventies. Do you think your parents 
would like go in the other room when you were dressed and just laugh at you because they got you to wear those clothes? Maybe. We were in Tokyo, so we stood out anyway. We're on here. Well, you were also so far from home that you couldn't run into anybody that you know. And Facebook didn't exist. Fortunately, and, and everyone didn't walk around with a camera in their hand, also to your benefit. So bell bottoms. Yes, tell me. Originated in the Navy, like many other things. Ah, yes, I think I know this. Do tell. In the Navy, in the yeah. early 19th century, some sailors started wearing these flared bottom trousers. And at that point, believe it or not, there was no set uniform in the Navy. I don't know if there were like guys walking around with Hawaiian shirts or not, or bowling shirts. I, I don't know how you could not have a set uniform, but we did not yet evolve to the point that we had a set uniform. And there was some reason to believe that there was some utilitarian value because it was easy to roll them up. That has been disputed by others. And in the 60s and 70s, for reasons that who the heck knows, it became the fashion statement. You know that, that it started in the U.S. Navy, but it was ultimately actually adopted by the British Navy? How many things went from U.S. to Britain as opposed to the other way around, especially in the 18th century? So we started doing it, and then the Brits said, hey, that's an awful look. It'll match our teeth. Let's start... Wow. So the story I was always told was that it was the Navy, but the reason why, if you fell overboard, it was easy to get them off you so you don't drown. Now that actually makes sense. And you could then, once they're off, tie a knot in them, blow into it, and it becomes a life preserver. Well, that actually makes sense. I wonder if that's true, but particularly, particularly the part about it easy, it being easy to so get them off. And they were wool and heavy, and they soaked up the Do water. You? Well, whoever told you that? Was it a Navy man that told Son you? of a Navy man. Son of a, the son of a son of a sailor? Yeah, exactly. Or the son of a sailor? In any discussion of fashion, you have to talk about the cod piece. Oh, God, yes, we do. We have to. Now, do you know that cod... Not to be confused with the dicky. Cod was slang for the scrotum. So the cod piece was pretty sure... It's actually a better word. And so... The way pants used to be made, a lot of times in the middle, they were kind of like chaps back Yeah, then. not much there. So then they started making it firm, and then people thought, huh, let's make it bigger and bigger. And they made it out of steel or iron, whatever. They made it out of... It became a focal point. It became a focal point for about 100 years for people to look at. Now, people said it just came because men wanted to bring attention to their manhood. But once again, there was a practical explanation for the size of the codpiece, Kurt, right? Yep. Lay it on us, big fella. There was a, like at different times and different ages, there was... There were no antibiotics. Outbreak of syphilis. Yeah. And you had no antibiotics, so there was a lot of stuff going on that needed wrapping and gauze stuff around That's your correct. cod. And so they needed something big to be able to give it space so they could stuff it all with their gauze. Dress. That's right. It had to be big to accommodate all of their bandages. Yes. And when the situation healed, they would take those bandages wrap them around their neck as a dicky to keep their neck warm in the wintertime. So we'll end on that. Please. And we thank you all for listening to Smart Drill. We thank you for listening to this episode. We thank you for listening to all of our episodes. There are now lots of episodes that you can enjoy, and they never get old because we don't rip these things from the headlines. So they're evergreen. We rip them from somewhere. Yes. Usually the bowels of our brains. In any event, thank you for listening. Kurt and I will be back next week with a brand new episode of Smart Drivel. Until then, we hope your week is filled with Smart Drivel. Ciao, everyone. Goodbye. Thank you. Thank you.